Each week, religion brings otherwise combative senators together. As demonstrated by the Senate prayer breakfasts, religion has the capacity to draw people together, but it can also be a powerful force that drives people apart. In the Middle East, Iraq, Sudan, the former Yugoslavia, and Northern Ireland, and many other places in the world, religion has been so divisive that people have killed one another, believing that they were doing the work of God. In the United States, religion has been used at times to justify violence, but it has not led us to full-scale sectarian warfare. In recent times, however, its interjection into politics has made religion a divisive force in our national life. Throughout our history, the challenge to America's government has been to hold together in one nation people of different interests and, increasingly, members of different religions, ethnicities, and races. In the 18th century, the framers of the Constitution struggled to accommodate both mercantile and agricultural interests, as well as states with relatively large and small populations. So they created a system of government in which competing interests would be represented in the two houses of Congress, and people of every point of view would be able to participate in choosing their government. With the influx of immigrants and the emancipation of slaves in the 19th century, the enfranchising of women and the civil rights movement of the 20th century, and Hispanic immigration, the feminist movement, and increased awareness of gays in recent decades— We have become a more diverse country, both in fact and in our self-perception. The task of holding ourselves together, so brilliantly addressed by our forebears in the 18th century, is no less important today, and far more complex. The framers of the Constitution, particularly James Madison, were well aware of the power of religion to split a nation apart. America's early colonists had come from Europe, which had known religious conflict for centuries. Some colonies and states in America, before adoption of the Constitution, imposed taxes on people regardless of their faith to support one denomination or another. In Virginia, Madison and Thomas Jefferson had led the effort to abolish taxes that supported religion. In his Commentaries on the Constitution of the United States, written in 1883, Supreme Court Chief Justice Joseph Story described America before the Constitution. In some states, Episcopalians constituted the predominant sect, in others Congregationalists, in others Quakers, in others again there was a close numerical rivalry among contending sects. It was impossible that there should not arise perpetual strife and perpetual jealousy on the subject of ecclesiastical ascendancy if the national government were left free to create a religious establishment. So said Chief Justice Story. So the Constitution of the United States provided that, at the federal level, religion and government should be separate. There would be no religious test for holding public office. The government would not establish religion, nor would it interfere with the right of the people to practice their faiths freely. 
Nothing could prevent religious people from participating in the affairs of politics. Indeed, that would be their constitutional right. But government would not be identified with religion, and religion would not be tainted by government. In recent years, the wisdom of our founding fathers has been challenged as the Republican Party has identified itself with the political agenda of Christian conservatives. For several decades, Christian conservatives such as the Reverend Pat Robertson, the Reverend Jerry Falwell, Ralph Reed, and more recently Dr. James Dobson, have been active participants in American and particularly Republican politics, focusing their attention mainly on the issue of abortion. But in recent years, they have moved beyond a single issue to endorse an expanded political agenda. Followers of the Reverend Jerry Falwell have distributed a bumper sticker bearing the slogan, Vote Christian, thereby conveying the clear message that there is a Christian way to vote, as opposed to a non-Christian or anti-Christian way to vote. There is no need for the bumper sticker to spell out the details. The agenda of the Christian right is well known. It is to oppose abortion, early-stage stem cell research, and gay marriage, and to advocate the display of the Ten Commandments in courthouses and the teaching of intelligent design in public schools. When I arrived in Washington in January 1977, I was in the philosophical center of a broad range of Republican senators. To my left were people many Republicans today would call liberals, Jacob Javits of New York, Clifford Case of New Jersey, Edward Brooke of Massachusetts, and Lowell Weicker of Connecticut. To my right were conservative stalwarts, including Barry Goldwater of Arizona, Strom Thurmond of South Carolina, Jesse Helms of North Carolina, and John Tower of Texas. Then there were the senators who, with me, were somewhere in the center of our party. People like Howard Baker of Tennessee, Bob Dole, and his Kansas colleague Jim Pearson. Of course, such diverse Republicans had differences of opinion on various issues, but we respected each other, and we respected our differences. A set of core beliefs that nearly all Republicans shared held us together. We were internationalists who believed that America had a responsibility to be a force of strength and leadership in a world then threatened by the Soviet Union. We supported an engaged foreign policy, a strong national defense, and free trade. We thought that legislators should create the law and that judges should interpret it. We believed in limited government, in keeping taxes low and the burden of regulation light, and we thought that many of government's decisions should be made close to the people at the state or local levels, not in Washington. I recall Jacob Javits, one of our most liberal Republicans, saying that ours was the pro-business party. I think that was a fair statement. We thought that more economic growth would occur, more jobs would be created, and more opportunity would exist 
if the private sector thrived than if the federal government grew. These were, and I think still are, the beliefs that Republicans hold in common. Throughout my time in the Senate, abortion was an issue on which Republicans did not agree. And I remember one brief period of time when we heatedly debated the subject of prayer in public schools. But by and large, religion was not a political subject in those years. Certainly, our party had no religious agenda. In those years, we would have found the notion that people should vote Christian at least strange and probably offensive. Since that time, the breadth of the Republican Party has narrowed. Gone are Javits, Case, and Brooke. Gone are Baker, Dole, and Danforth. The band of Republican senators most people would call moderate now numbers a half-dozen or so. And many would say, good riddance, for as our party has narrowed its breadth, it has increased its strength. In 1977, I was one of only 39 Republicans in the Senate, and our party was an insignificant minority in the House of Representatives. Now we have a majority in both houses of Congress. This improved electoral status has occurred as the Republican Party has identified itself with the Christian right, a development starkly exemplified by the government's extraordinary intervention in the case of Terry Schiavo. Responding to the demands of prominent Christian conservatives, Republican leaders rushed legislation through Congress in a frantic effort to keep a woman hooked up to a feeding tube despite the finding...